let's get into a two-week series called A Matter of the Heart. And it really is coming off of an experience that I had about a month ago. You ever have a situation where you're like thinking, oh man, how is this going to go? And then it turns out really good. That happened here at the church. So in Cloquet, so we're located in the city of Cloquet. And the reality of the COVID pandemic in our local area, as you probably know, was a a big spike in January. January was having a big COVID spike. And so the city council decided to put a citywide mask mandate in the city of Cloquet. And that included churches. And so I had to then deal with that. I didn't want to deal with it, but guess what? It showed up without me having any choice in the matter. And my feeling is that it's not so much about making the right call, but it's about keeping the church about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's all these different distractions, all this different stuff going on, and I just don't want the church to be about masks or mandates or vaccines or who's saying what to who or blah, you know, like I don't, you know, that stuff just, I don't even care. I want to be about the gospel. I want to make sure that people know that Jesus loves them and that there is a way made for each individual to have a real relationship with the living God, to be reconciled to God, to be brought out of the junk that has been poured on you through your life and even the stuff that you've done to yourself. You can be brought out of that into new life in Christ and you can live a life of purpose and you can be an overcomer and you can get the victory and then you get everlasting life in the paradise of God. I mean, like, oh, that's what it's about. And so I don't want to be about this stuff, you know? And yet here we are. It's like, okay, got to do this. You know, I was hoping to have a good weekend, you know, but then now we got a mask mandate. You know, people, are people going to come? Are they going to come angry? You know, how's this going to go? Our official stance is, you know, we've always been a go the extra mile church. You know, I was looking for verses when all this stuff started a couple of years ago. And uh, Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 42 from the Sermon on the Mount kind of jumped out. You know, this is the stuff that Jesus says, if you do what I say, it'll be like you built your house on a rock. But if you don't do what I say, then your house is going to fall with a great crash. And I'm like, okay, well, better do what it says then. So here it says in Matthew chapter five, we'll read 38 through 42. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, of course, if you're one of those persons who's looking for, you know, the extreme case where, oh yeah, but does that apply here? Jesus also flipped over the money changers tables. You know, he turned the other cheek, but he flipped over the money changers tables. And so we have to decide what's the appropriate response. Are we to resist, flip over the money changers tables and say, you know, this is wrong, not going with it. Or do you turn the other cheek and say, well, you know what, we're just going to go the extra mile. And to me, mask mandates, it's, you know, they're not saying don't preach the gospel. They're not saying we have to close the church. 
just saying, hey, you know, wear a mask. We don't want people getting sick. You know, the healthcare industry is hurting. We, we want to at least throw them a bone. And so I'm like, well, okay, this seems like a go the extra mile kind of scenario. So, you know, we've always said, okay, hey, if they're asking us to do this, they're not taking the gospel away from us. Um, let's make it about the gospel and let's go the extra mile. I'll wear a mask. It'll be okay. And so I told people, hey, just do the best you can. You know, we're going to wear masks. Do the best you can. Somebody comes in, they can't wear a mask. You know, there's all these different things. And okay, you know, we're not going to tackle you and beat you up. You know, it's okay. And so I was fearful of tension and people fighting and people glaring at each other at church. It's just not fun coming into church like that. And then that we have Saturday night services. So then the first Saturday night of the mandate came to church. You know, we hadn't worn masks for a long time. Now we're back to the mask thing. And I'm just kind of a little bit nervous about how church is going to go. You know, I, I don't know we're going to go back to unfun church or if we can have fun church with the mask mandate. And I got to tell you, something beautiful happened. On that Saturday night service, there was a spirit of love and just God's power filled the sanctuary and my heart just soared because people didn't let the masks get in the way of seeking the presence of God and the power of God. And my heart just soared because it was so beautiful and I was anticipating something yucky, but something wonderful happened instead. Now we had a majority of people wearing masks in the sanctuary. Some of them said they masked up out of respect for me, which I appreciate. That's nice. Others, however, had something significant happen. There were more than one person that came into church angry, came into church kind of defiant, came into church like, ah, you know, and then they had a change of heart. They came in angry, but they left with soft hearts. And this was so beautiful. And I had two people give testimonies, you know, not in front of the church, but uh, to other people, to me, about that heart change that happened to them during the service that weekend. And then on Saturday night, we did the, you know, just the altar call, call to faith. And, you know, lights are down and I can't see very well, but, and it takes a little bit of time. And, you know, so I counted eight. And my wife said it was more closer to 14 because she said there's some over there I didn't see and a couple over there. And so, I mean, we had like between eight and 14 people raise their hand, turn their lives over to Christ and to put their faith in Jesus. Like that's in the mask mandate, you know, the first service of the mask mandate. And it's like, oh my goodness, God is good. This is fantastic. This is glorious. This is wonderful. And so it just... What could have been a yucky, awkward church service turned out to be something beautiful. And the difference was the heart of the people that were here because it's a matter of the heart. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about having a right heart, having a soft heart. I think so many of the things that we've gone through in the last couple years and, you know, there's the political stuff, there's the social justice, you know, stuff, there's the pandemic stuff, you know, the internet is not helping us out here, you know, as far as misinformation and all these different things going on. We've gone through a lot and it can cause people to become angry, to become bitter, to become resentful, to, to just not have soft hearts, to harden their hearts. So let's talk about that a little bit because it's a matter of the heart. You ever wonder why John the Baptist had to come first? 
before Jesus. If you're familiar with the prophecies and with how the New Testament played out, the prophecy was, of course, for the Messiah to come, the the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Savior to come and rescue Israel and to rescue the world. But there was also the prophecy of the one who would come first and prepare the way. So, why would Jesus, would the Alpha and the Omega, the Son of God, need someone to kind of get things ready for him first? You don't think he could handle it on his own? I mean, he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Can't he take care of it on his own? He's got to have somebody else, you know, kind of get things ready for him first. Why John the Baptist? Well, let's look at this. Why did John the Baptist come? What did he come to do? Let's go to Luke chapter one. In Luke chapter one, we see a story of the father of John the Baptist being told by the angel Gabriel about what's going to happen. You know, like, and so this is kind of big, wild stuff. So let's look here. We'll begin Luke chapter one, starting in verse eight. We're going to talk about Zechariah. He is the father of John the Baptist, but he's not been born yet. So that's where we pick it up. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth." For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous." to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here we see uh, later in the chapter, we realize this is Gabriel, the angel that is talking to Zechariah and he is explaining the situation to him. And why is John going to be born? What is his purpose? Verses 16 and 17, make it very clear. Verse 16, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. So he will turn people from ignoring God to coming back to God. He's a a revivalist. He's going to bring people back to God. And then verse 17, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. So instead of the parents being about themselves and just, you know, going off in their merry way, they're going to care about the next generation. They're going to care about their children again. They're going to care about their children's relationship with God. So to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom 
of the righteous. So people who are just disobedient to God, who are walking in foolishness in this life, are going to begin to walk uh, making the right decisions, doing well, being wise, to bring the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. The section we read finishes with, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Jesus was there to prepare a people to make them ready for the Lord. He went on ahead of Jesus in order to to prepare the way, to do those things that we read, to bring back many to the Lord, to turn the hearts of the fathers, the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. What was his process? How did he go about doing that? Well, let's go to Mark chapter one. So these things are in the beginnings of the Gospels. And so we go to Mark chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 through 8, and we'll look at how John the Baptist prepared the way. So here we go. Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is the process that John went through. In Luke, we saw what the angel told John's father would happen. And now we see what John actually did. What did he do? He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So when people repent, then they are forgiven and John baptizes them in water. You know, the whole dunk them in the water, pull them up, baptize, a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. It describes a heart change. So this is a baptism of repentance. And the word baptism, you know, baptize, it's, it's really just a word that's been taken from the Greek and made into an English word, it means to immerse, to put underneath, or to wash, you know. Uh, and so what a baptism of repentance is, you know, it's similar to that baptism in the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, John said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So just as someone is baptized in water and they are very wet, they go, you know, they're under the water, then Jesus comes to baptize in the Holy Spirit to make our hearts right, to envelop us and cover us overflow the Holy Spirit upon us to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. Here, it's water, but really the water isn't the important part, is it? It isn't like, oh, I got wet, you know. No, the important part is the repentance. The repentance is the significant part. So imagine being immersed in, saturated by, you know, overcome by 
repentance, by that being your heart condition. The importance of John's baptism was not the water part, but the repentance part. So there's a couple words that we've read in the scriptures here that I don't want you to stumble on. These are the words righteous and the word repentance. So righteous and repentant. Repentance is very important and righteous is very important, but I think it can be a little bit tricky understanding what that means just because there's other things. The Bible word righteous doesn't mean self-righteous or holier than thou. You know what I mean? Like when the scriptures say the word righteous, I don't want in your head to have self-righteous, holier than thou come up in your heart, come up in your understanding. You know, because the truth is Jesus was very much opposed to the self-righteous, holier-than-thou people. And the right thing is often to ruffle the feathers of the self-righteous. So what it means to be righteous in the scriptures, it means that you can be trusted to do the right thing and to have the right attitude always. That's what righteous means, that you can be trusted to do the right thing and to have the right attitude always. So when you read the word righteous or you hear the word righteous, Please don't think self-righteous or holier than thou because that's not it. What it is is that you can be trusted to do the right thing and you can be trusted to have the right attitude to see people in the right way and that you're always like that. That's what righteous means in the Bible. Jesus demonstrated righteousness by his actions. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times he ruffled the feathers of the self-righteous, of the religious elite he would mess with them. And, you know, that was the right thing to do. So understand when the Bible says righteous, it's not talking about self-righteous or holier than thou. The other word I want to focus on a little bit is the word repentance. I think that's maybe a little bit more complicated of a word to get a full understanding of. But if John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, baptism in water to symbolize the repentance of our hearts, then we better get a grip on what repentance means. Repentance is not the same as regret. Regret is different from repentance. You can regret something, but not change. You can regret something, but have the same heart condition that you had before. Regret and repentance are not the same. Repentance is a heart change that springs you into something new, that makes you say, you know what, this is it, I'm done, I'm going to go this way now. That was wrong, that's not who I am, I'm not going to be that person anymore, I'm going this way. That's repentance, is when you change. The Old Testament's primarily written in Hebrew, the New Testament primarily written in Greek, You know, there's a word in the Hebrew translated repentance, and there's a word in the Greek translated repentance, and the word in the Hebrew basically means to go back to God. And that's one of the things that John was called to do. Luke 1.16, he was going to bring many back to the Lord. So that's repentance in the Hebrew word. The Greek word basically means to go to the 30,000 foot view of your life, to overlook it, and then to reconsider how you're living your life. It's meta-considered. You know, just go get the bird's eye view, take stock of where you're at, and decide whether or not you want to continue on the path that you're on or reevaluate 
your decisions and go a different direction. So that's what repentance means. It, it means to turn back to God or to reconsider your life from that 30,000 foot view and then decide to go with God. Say, yeah, you know what? I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going with God. John prepared the way for the Lord by this baptism of repentance. And what that means is John prepared the way for the Lord by turning people's hearts from hard to soft, from turning people from rejecting God to coming back to God, from not paying attention to their responsibilities, you know, fathers not caring about their kids, parents not caring about the next generation, turning their hearts back to their responsibilities, bringing the disobedient into a knowledge of what's right, to walking in righteousness instead of foolishness. John prepared the way for the Lord by turning people's hearts from hard to soft. That was what prepared the way for the Lord 2,000 years ago. When Jesus came, he came to a people who had been called to soften their hearts to God. And that is what allowed Jesus to speak and to touch people's hearts and to call them into that relationship with him is because their hearts were soft. And God speaks to people whose hearts are soft. It prepares the way for the Lord even today, just like it did 2000 years ago. So for you and for me, what prepares the way for the Lord is when our hearts are softened to God, when we repent, when we turn back to God or we reconsider our lives and decide there's gotta be something more than this and decide to go after the Lord, then that's when our hearts are softened to God and that prepares the way for the Lord to enter into our lives, just like 2000 years ago. People with stiff necks and hard hearts don't hear from God. God's still speaking. They just can't hear it. So we want to have open hearts. We want to have soft hearts towards God. And that's what I saw on that Saturday night and what continued on through the mask mandate uh, in the beginning of that. Tremendous, incredible blessing to see soft hearts. And I realize it's a matter of the heart. I want to finish by going to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is an amazing psalm, and it is one that when I was a new believer, there was a song that was based on this, and I'm just going to read three verses that were part of, the, part of the song, and this is a psalm of David. We'll talk about the context here in a little bit. Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That's how the song went. And this is a Psalm of David that he wrote. If we go to the beginning of the Psalm, it says, for the director of music, the Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So David had failed. What was the situation there? A situation that resulted in when David finally repented, when he came to his senses, when he 
re-engaged his relationship with God. Here's what was going on before that. King David had gotten lazy and bored. When everybody else went to war, he decided he's going to stay home this time because he's, you know, he's just not in the mood for going out for war. But then all the men are gone. You know, everybody's off very busy fighting battles and doing heroic things. And David's at home, you know, kind of calling the shots from a distance and he gets bored. You know, if you're not busy doing the right things, you're going to probably get busy doing the wrong things. And so David is bored and he egregiously fails God. He sees this beautiful woman She's married to one of the soldiers. So David's like, hey, come on over here. And she gets pregnant and he's like, oh, that's not so great. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to have, there's more to it than this. It took some time. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have that guy die in battle. Let's, let's, you know, let's have him go up there and let's, let's back away and let him get killed. They'll cover everything up, you know, then, then I can marry her and it'll all work out fine. So he does that. And then Nathan, the prophet knows what's going on. David's trying to cover all this stuff up. And Nathan comes to David because David's got a hard heart. He can't hear from God. He doesn't know right from wrong. He's failing egregiously. He's just, he needs to repent. So Nathan comes to him. And he tells a story. He says, you know, in this, in this city, there was a, a rich man, had all kinds of wonderful stuff, you know, huge flocks and herds, and he was rich. And then there was a poor man who just had one little ewe lamb. And that's the, this one little ewe lamb was like a pet. You know, the, the poor man would bring the little ewe lamb into his house and they, they had a beautiful bond. And this was all the hopes and dreams of this poor man. Because, you know, maybe he can build off of this, this you, uh, a herd of his own. But when a visitor comes to visit the rich man, the rich man takes the poor man's lamb and slaughters it for a feast for a guy that came to visit him. And so then the poor man's left with nothing and the rich man wouldn't slaughter one of his massive herd. And David, being a shepherd, is incensed. He's like, what? You got to be kidding me. This is, this is wrong. That man who stole that other man's lamb. He needs to pay back four times because that's just not right. He's angry about it. And then Nathan says to David, I picture him looking him in the eye and saying, you are that man. And immediately David knew what he was talking about. You can read the whole story in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David immediately knew what he was talking about. He's like, oh, Uriah had his wife. I'm the king. (laughs) I've stolen and murdered, committed adultery, and David's heart broke. It became soft. And then David writes Psalm 51, renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He wants to come back to God. And here's my question for you. Has the experiences, the events, have they created in you a hard heart? Have you gotten to where you're kind of jaded? You're kind of angry. You look at this world with suspicion. Instead of hearing from God, you're just mad at everybody. Has something happened in your heart to where instead of seeing the beauty of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the power of God, the opportunities to serve God, the ways that you can make a difference in this world and let light shine in the darkness, instead, have you gotten to the place where now you're just angry and you're upset and you 
you're not being part of the solution of bringing the love of God to this world, but instead you're just sort of angry, sort of judgmental and blaming people. And is that where you are? John the Baptist came to prepare a way for the Lord by leading people into repentance. And I'm hoping that we can have a great move of repentance today, that we can have people not feeling bad. I mean, a lot of times repentance has regret with it, but repentance is turning to God, either turning back to God if you've wandered away or turning to God in the first place, realizing that grabbing hold of the eternal, grabbing hold of the spiritual is more important than the material and the temporary. So if life's circumstances have resulted in the hardening of your heart, now's the time to let God soften it. We're going to pray about that here in just a minute, but I want to talk about next week. Next week, I'm going to preach on being shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. Jesus told us that, you know, we we need to have a childlike faith, but we also need to be shrewd as snakes, wise as snakes, and as innocent as doves. So when we go through this life, there's the Man, there's, there's the getting hit by the harshness and the evil and the darkness of this world. How do we have wisdom and be shrewd to protect ourselves through that, maintain our innocence, and maintain a childlike faith in the midst of that? That's next week. We'll talk about that process next week. But this week, I want to ask you, where's your heart? Because it's truly a matter of the heart. If we have soft hearts before God and we have soft hearts before others, then we can hear from God and we can walk in his ways. So that's my challenge. Look at your heart. Let's pray and let's, uh, let's soften our hearts before God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for sending your son and for calling John, the one who baptized, the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins to, to prepare the way. Lord, help us to have repentant hearts as well. If we've gotten to the place where we're looking at people with anger and disdain, if we are not hearing from you because we're just always worked up about things that we don't like, Lord, help us to soften our hearts. Help us to snap out of it like Nathan went to David and he snapped out of it because he realized what was going on. Lord, let us not fall for the devil's tricks and bring us into strife and anger and malice and all those dark emotions and dark spiritual places. Lord, let us not run there, but Lord, let us repent and turn to you, knowing your love, knowing your peace, knowing your kindness and gentleness and patience. Lord, help us to turn to our responsibilities, turn to you, turn to walking right, being trustworthy to do the right thing and to have the right attitude always. Lord, encourage us with this. Help us to walk strong with you. Help us to stand in your truth. And Lord, I pray that as we look into our hearts, you would show us where have we become hard? Where have we become calloused? Where have we become darkened? And Lord, remove that callous, bring light into our hearts and soften our hearts so we can hear from you, we can know your love, and we can bring your love to this world. So encourage us with this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.